following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4 verse 4 tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. I have a question, especially as Pastor Groff began this morning, a question for all the children here tonight. So listen up. What is greater that God would become man or that a man would become an ant? Can you imagine a human being becoming an ant? No matter what age you are, you're a lot bigger than an ant. But imagine what that would be like. We heard this morning how we are made in God's image. And what that means, that we are the image bearers of God. That God breathed into us the breath of life. Being a human being, a boy or girl, is a lot different than being an ant. But you know, there is so much more distance between... God becoming a man, than a man becoming an ant. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and that woman was the Virgin Mary. Philippians chapter 2, one of the greatest passages in all the Bible that tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ says in verses 6 through 8, if you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, he already had it, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The distance between the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, taking upon himself human flesh, our nature without sin, and becoming man is far greater than us becoming an ant. But why did he come? Why did he do that? Paul in Philippians 2 said, that he took upon himself the form of a bondservant. Mark puts it this way in Mark 10, 45, that 
The Son of Man, as Jesus often referred to himself in fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. He came to purchase us for God. He came to purchase Colombians, and he came to purchase people from Hong Kong, and he came to purchase those from Europe, and he came to purchase all of those from Africa, and all of God's elect people. That's why he came, as a bondservant. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Tonight, our text teaches in a glorious way that Christ is our only hope. First of all, we will see from verse 8 how he is the hope of the Jews. We'll see in verses 9 through 12 how he is the hope of the Gentiles, those of us who are not Jewish by birth. But then we will conclude with a surprise. The surprise is that we, here in the church, here in Antioch tonight, we need the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is our hope, as much as he is for those out there. He is the hope of the church as well. Verses 1 through 7 and later verse 18. First of all, Christ is the hope of the Jews. Verse 8 tells us succinctly what this means. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. The circumcision, remember, were the Jews, those who had the outward sign of God's covenant. On behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers. First of all, who are the fathers? Uh, the fathers would go all the way back to the first announcement of the gospel, to where God said to Adam and Eve there in the garden that one would come who would crush the head of the serpent. The first announcement of the gospel. It was later confirmed to Abraham as God took him out and showed him the stars of heaven and said, so your descendants will be. It was confirmed as we learned that this one, this ruler, would come from the tribe of Judah. It was confirmed to David as David had this marvelous plan to build a house for God, and God said, no, but I will build a house for you, and I will put one of your descendants, a son of David, on the throne forever. And we could go on and on tonight to speak of the glorious Psalms, Psalms 2, Psalm 110, and other Psalms, and later clearly in the prophets, as we see that he would be born of a virgin. All of these promises, it's exciting to think that as Pastor Groff is preaching and making his way, our way, through the gospel according to Matthew, that Matthew has the distinct purpose to show us how Jesus in his coming, in his person, fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. You remember we learned this morning, this happened so that the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And so is the theme 
of Matthew. He is the king of Israel. Once Jesus, as he was here on earth, was in a certain situation, and he said, I have come only for the lost sheep of Israel. What did he mean by that? That his focus was, he is Messiah. He is a savior for the Jews. The apostle Paul later commissioned in his name, went out first to the synagogues. He would reason with the Jews in every city, showing them from the law and the prophets and the Psalms that Jesus is Messiah. Make no doubt at all, today as well, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only hope for the Jews. It is so sad today that some believe that some way after Christ's second return that the Jewish people will have a second opportunity. Sam Rodman, a concert pianist who has played in dozens and dozens of countries throughout the world, and we've had the privilege on two different occasions in two different homes of having him in our home playing the piano and giving testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ to our neighbors tells this story. Some way or another, some of my classmates at Juilliard's when I was studying in New York City had not heard that you were not supposed to talk to Jewish people about Jesus. And so, they told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was converted there. Uh, Sam Rockman has dedicated his life not only to play music to the glory of God, but to give testimony of his faith in Christ. Yes, the only hope, the only hope of salvation for Jews is Jesus. He is Messiah. But this text goes on to tell us that Christ is the hope of the Gentile. Now, now to us who are not Jewish, uh, this comes maybe not with the great impact that it should have upon us. As I read verses 9 through 12, let me remind you of our situation. The fact that we were not born Jewish is described in the Bible this way, that we are far from the covenant promise, that we are without God and without hope in the world. But listen to these words, beginning to read in our text, Romans 15 at verse 9. Again, once again, it's saying that Christ has become a servant, and now in verse 9, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. You see, it is God's mercy that we who were without covenant, without hope in this world, he has extended his mercy to us. Now, we see glimpses of that through the Old Testament. We see those such as Ruth, a Moabitess, who we've studied here at Antioch recently about her life and about how salvation was extended to her, and God covered her with his promises. Oh, we know the story of Naaman, the Syrian, and there are other examples, Rahab and others, who came to faith. 
But we see in waiting and anticipation as the promises are made through the prophets that there would be a light for those who live in Galilee. In the place that was dark, a great light would shine, the prophet said. And so we read of that now in our text. There are four different quotes here to show that really this was always the plan of God, that Jesus is the only hope of salvation for us who are not Jewish by birth, but are Gentiles, non-Jews. Therefore, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles. This text, interestingly, is taken from 2 Samuel 22, verse 50, and, and later the same wording in Psalm 18, 49. There's a second quote given as well, and it is, in a sense, even more interesting. The context we see there in, in verse 10, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. From Deuteronomy 32, 43. And then that short psalm that we read to uh, a few moments ago for our Old Testament reading is the third quote. This one, praise the Lord, all the Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Here, the peoples very clearly are the nations, the ethnos, those who are not of the people of God by birth. But the call of this psalm and many other psalms and in a widening fan of hope in the Old Testament is praise him, all ye people, all nations, praise him. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ faithful to keep the promise that was made to the fathers, to the Jews, but he is also Messiah, our king, as we have acknowledged already reading the catechism. He is the hope of the Gentiles. One of the most amazing things took place on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. We were connected uh, by internet, of course, to missionaries serving throughout the world. Uh, thankfully, we were on two different time schedules so that those who were asleep did not have to be in a meeting at 3 o'clock in the morning. But what was exciting was to hear about what God is doing in Japan with university students coming to faith in Christ. What was exciting was to hear the word of God expounded by an African brother what was exciting was to be around in an area where it is known for violence, it is known for drug cartels outside of Medellin, Colombia, and recognizing that about 20 minutes away was our brother Javier in New Providence Bible Institute. Uh, that a, a team of missionaries are now going into the University of the State in that city, and already a church has been planted there. He is the hope of the Gentiles. Christ is our only hope. 
And so as we glorify him and praise him and thank him that he is our only hope of salvation, we come this evening to the great surprise. What is the great surprise? This wonderful passage about the extension of the gospel, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that salvation is for the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, really in its context, this great passage of Christ as Savior is given, as it is in Philippians 2, as an example for us here in the church. But an example of what? I want to begin with Philippians 2 to prepare the way. All of us know, I believe, when we hear the word, our Philippians 2, we turn there in our Bibles, we're already anticipating this wonderful passage which speaks first of the humiliation of the one who made that trip by emptying himself by addition, taking upon himself our nature without sin and humbling himself. And yet he was highly exalted and given the name that is above every name. And we could go on to say that it says that every knee will bow, those of all nations. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. We're not speaking here of universal salvation, that every man, woman, and child will be saved. But what we are saying is that salvation is for the Jew and for the Gentile. And yet, what is the context of Philippians 2? This great doctrinal, Christological passage. What is happening here? Well, it's given as an example. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, the context, it says these words. In verse 2, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, Intent on one purpose. We would say, that sounds great. We want to be of the same mind here at Antioch. Just a moment. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. So, so at home this week, we are to look out for the interest of others, our brothers and sisters, our moms and our dads, our sons and our daughters, our wives and our husbands, before our own interests. You see, in Philippians 2, the context is teaching about how we are to live. Have you ever thought about the fact that our theology comes right off of our fingertips? That is, what we really believe works itself out in our actions. Theologians call what we believe orthodoxy. We should have correct beliefs. But the point of Philippians 2 is that 
leads to orthopraxy. That is what we do. Not only what we do here in the church, but what we do on the job, at school, in our homes, and along the way. It's how we live. You see, what we really believe comes right out of what we do, the expression of what we do is what we believe. That's why Philippians 2, when Paul is urging the church at Philippi to be of one mind, to not think too highly of themselves, to have one mind and together with one voice to serve God, he reminds them of the greatest example of service. The greatest example where God became man. And he took upon himself our nature. You know, some people marvel as we are in Advent now and preparing to celebrate uh, Christ's birth in the Christian calendar. Some marvel that Jesus was laid in the trough where the animals ate. He was laid in a manger. But I want you to think tonight, he had been born in the most glorious palace that has ever existed on this planet. Would it have been like where he left? The one whom the angels praise, continue to praise, and always will praise, he became one of us, yet without sin. And so, to illustrate to the church there at Philippi the importance of serving one another, not looking out just for our own interests, of being of one mind, not acting selfishly, he takes them to the greatest example of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where that great passage comes from. Now, I want to be honest with you. Uh, several weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I was reading Romans 15. And I was so looking forward to preaching the sermon, an Advent sermon, on the coming of Jesus Christ and his salvation and how he is our only hope. But lo and behold, when I begin to study this passage more closely, I realize that it's the same as Philippians 2. Look with me at verses 1 through 6 of our text. Now we who are strong, Romans chapter 15, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. It's important to note, as John Murray does, that this first verse of chapter 15 summarizes and concludes the whole argument of Romans chapter 14. Did you know that one of the most dangerous parts of your Bible are the chapter divisions? <laughs> Always be careful. This is just one letter. And really, verse 1 of chapter 15 is the conclusion of chapter 14. You have to be very careful when you read your Bible to read on, often in the chapters. So what is the point? Who are the weak here? Well, you'll have to do your homework and look at Romans 14, but I'll give you a hint. 
Paul has been talking about how some of the believers there were weak. They were weak in their consciences. For example, they did not dare eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. That, that would go against their conscience, and so they just ate vegetables. Uh, they struggled with other things as well, about the observance of certain days, whether they should do that, whether they should not do that. There was a, there was a difference of opinion. But there were those who were more mature. Perhaps they had been in Christ longer. They had grown more in their faith. These who were strong, verse 1 tells us, ought to bear the weaknesses. It's interesting, but the concept of bear here is not to tolerate. You know, we'll just have to put up with this person. But rather, it means to help them in their weaknesses. To help carry them in their weaknesses is the idea. And not just please ourselves. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. The idea is that whatever we do in our relationship with each other here in the church, Christ is our hope that we might build one another up. And then it goes to the example here, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell upon me. Quoting the psalm, the, the same psalm that says the zeal of the Lord's house consumed him, says that he took our reproaches, our insults. They fell upon him, those that we deserve. So as we study the scriptures here at the church, we see that the scriptures, as we read them in the home, as we teach them to our children, were written for our instruction, that we might persevere and be encouraged. One of the most incredible discoveries also that we see in Romans 15 is there are actually two verses here that are prayers. Oh, that would be verse 5. In verse 13, we know that they are prayers because they begin with the words, Now may the God who gives, or now may the God of hope, fill you. It is not that we, here in the church, can with one voice, in unity, with one accord, serve, and give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in our own strength. This great passage ends with the prayer in verse 13, reminding us that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you boys and girls a question. Just naturally, just the way you do every day when you're with your family, does it just kind of come natural for you to put your brothers and sisters first? Or does it kind of usually come out like, I want to be first? Well, for me, naturally, I would want to be first. And that's why we need God's Spirit in us, the power of His Spirit. Paul said to the Thessalonians that 
the word of God not only came to them as the word of God, which it is, but it came to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can enable us here in Antioch as we prepare to go out into the neighborhood to take the good news of the gospel, to declare that he is our only hope. Only he can enable us to not please ourselves alone, but to please and to edify one another. Only he can enable us to carry, to bear with those who are weak. A few take-homes for this evening. God calls us not to please ourselves, but to build up one another, to accept one another as Christ has accepted us, verse 7. Almost always, when the scriptures teach us what we call the one another passages, there's always an implication or a second step. We are to forgive as he has forgiven us. We are to love as he has loved us. We are to accept as he has accepted us in Christ. Secondly, we're to do that with one accord and with one voice. I don't know, Zach, how our singing is going to be on Saturday. But I do know that God is calling us from his word tonight to be a church that with one voice, together, in unity, putting others' interests before our own, he has called us to serve together. And thirdly, remember that as we proclaim that Christ is the only hope of the Jews, the only hope of the Gentiles, the nations, he also is the hope of this church. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can serve as one. We are one body. We have one Lord. We have one God and Father. We have one baptism. We have one spirit. We have one hope. This year, I have seen, every time I have prepared to preach, there's always one thing. It's a theme that we have visited with so many to hear them say they've lost hope. They have lost hope. Let us be encouraged. As these two prayers, and I will close by reading the two prayers that are here in our passage, verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement Grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. In verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.